Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm Rich Fay and I'm joined once again by Tyrone Marshall. Hello Rich. And by Don Booth. Hello, how are we? Yeah, not too bad. We've got a bit of battle of the home nations on today for those of you lucky enough who think you'll be watching this on social media. Don representing the Free Lions, me with the Trigagor, head of the Euros. I'm sure we'll get onto the... Uh, the looming European Championship soon later into this podcast, but we're recording this on Wednesday, the 2nd of June. It's a week since the dust has settled now on the... Uh, well, do we want to talk about what happened in Gdansk? I don't think anyone here does. There's not nothing else really more to say on, on what happened there in the Europa League final. Solskjaer's always talk, spoken about the, the fine margins ever since he's been United manager, and if the fine margins has gone his way, the mood might be a bit cheerier this week. But the dust has settled, as we said. Ty... How do you reflect on United's season? Because I know the buzzword around Old Trafford has been progress. Progress and success are very different words. United didn't have success in the end. Another trophyless campaign. But do you think there were genuine signs of progress under Solskjaer this season? Yeah, I think so. You, you've got to, you know, you've got to judge progress. I guess on a thirty-eight game league season, and, and United were, were eight points and one place better off. So I guess you, you call that progress. Uh, I think most United fans got over defeating Gdansk much quicker on Saturday night when they saw City fail to, to win the Champions League and throw in a, a bizarre performance in, in Porto. I'm sure that will have helped the um, the healing process. So, yeah, I think you've got to say it's a it's a success. But I think, you know, the concern for, for United would have been watching that final on Saturday and, and seeing the quality on show. Um, you know, Chelsea, Chelsea have been generally excellent under Tuchel. They've beaten City three times in six weeks now. City made changes in the other two games. That was City's probably their best team, despite Guardiola's bizarre selection at, at the start of the game as well. And and then Chelsea have beaten City again. And I think we have to expect that Chelsea are probably going to be the real deal next season. They're going to spend big again this summer, you would think. There's talk of going for Lukaku. And you, you can see them going very close next year. You would expect Liverpool to go close again when they've got centre-backs fit. They've already signed a centre-back. And I think I said this in a piece earlier this week, and it sounds crazy, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it again just to, to make myself sound even even stupider. I think the Premier League could be harder to win in the Champions League next because I think four of the best six teams in Europe maybe might be in the, the Premier League, including United in that, which might be, might, we might decide that's generous in 12 months' time, but we'll wait and see, I guess. But, you know, certainly in, in City and Chelsea were, were clearly the two best teams in the Champions League this year. Uh, Chelsea beat Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid so easily that you know the, the, the league teams and Serie A teams look miles off it at the moment. The only teams I can see stopping an English team winning the Champions League are, are Bayern Munich and maybe Paris Saint-Germain at a stretch. Beyond that, I think four of the def- four of the best six teams, maybe four of the best five teams in Europe are in the Premier League, and you're going to have to play Chelsea twice, Liverpool twice, City twice, and I think that the standard in the Premier League next year, I can see it being as good as it's been for a decade, maybe more, and I think that's going to make finishing second again for United, a real task. And, and obviously they want to go one further and win the league, but I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to win the Premier League next year. And if they pull it off, it'll be a mighty fine achievement. I think it's going to be really hard to finish second next year. And I don't think there'd be any shame at all in, in finishing second next year. I think that final on Saturday just showed the the standard that the, that the Premier League is heading for next year. It's where all the money is at the moment. It's where the best managers are at the moment. It's where the best players are heading for. And I think next year it's it's going to be a a monster of a league. I really do. And I think those 
those top four teams in United, Chelsea, Liverpool and City are, are going to set a real standard. And you, you can see them finishing one to four in, in any order, really, because I don't think this is a, a vintage City side either. They won the league this year, but I think it's the weakest of Guardiola's three title winners. And if they sign Harry Kane, we, we might change our tune on that. But I don't think they're uncatchable by any means. And I think any of the three teams chasing them could potentially catch them. So I think, you know, this season you'd say there's been progress, but I think next season is, is going to be a mighty challenge for United. Yeah, Don, it's interesting what Ty says there, that next season the goal might not be that you've got to just catch City, but you've got to make sure that Chelsea, Liverpool, maybe even someone like Leicester or Tottenham as well, doesn't overtake you. I guess as part of the, the sort of three-year plan under Solskjaer, you know, there is that steady improvement in the league. Of course, the only way to go better than second it is first, isn't it? But maybe it's just to cut that gap and be involved in a real title race. Do you think that United are only a couple of signs away from being true, genuine title contenders next season? Or do you think there is still a, a lot of work to do? I don't think there's a huge amount of work to do. I think it's said most years, isn't it, that United are only like three or four signings away from, from being title contenders. I don't think it has actually been true uh, in recent years. You know, the year they finished sixth when Solskjaer took over for Mourinho, that was a complete mess of a season. Uh, and what he was able to do in, the, in that transfer summer in 2019 making three signings and overhauling the defence mainly was was a sort of a platform. Last summer didn't really go the way that anyone in football expected with, with the pandemic and United not being able to get the transfers they wanted. But I think this time, uh, obviously aided by Fernandez, Cavani staying on, maybe if Pogba stays on too, then United are in a position to to push for the league title with, with one or two other additions. Like we say, Jadon Sancho and a centre-back, I would say, would be the two they should prioritise. And anything after that uh, is probably a bit of a bonus given them um, finances. But I look at it slightly different from Ty in, in terms of the other teams because Chelsea did have a, a pretty awful patch earlier this season and, and the Champions League is a knockout tournament and we have known teams from, from fifth, fourth in the Premier League to, to go and win it you know, purely by, by like Ty said, playing well in, in those one-off ties. So I think Chelsea's still got a long way to go to prove they're consistent enough to challenge for the title. Liverpool have got to prove they can get back to the levels that they were at under Klopp, which is yet to be seen. You know, they, they had defensive injuries last season, but their attack wasn't scoring goals apart from Mo Salah. Um, two of that front three failed um, pretty spectacularly last season. So I think United are in a good position to, to push City um, as closely as they can. We'll probably get onto it later in the po- podcast, but as, as I said, a lot will depend on the transfers that each team is able to do. Yeah, Ty, I guess particularly the fact that last season was such an anomaly and there was that mitigation that there was the understanding of why United didn't want to, to pay unrealistic fees for people like Jay and Sancho. I mean, they never really got to discussing an actual fee with Dortmund for Sancho because the, the actual demands from the player and the agent fees and all that were just too much. But, you know, the fact that effectively you left it late on transfer deadline day last year to get, to get four new recruits in and many fans will be saying that there was still a large chunk of budget which wasn't really spent you know last summer do you think that United have extra pressure on them this window to get it right and to spend big um I think they've got pressure on to to get it right purely because of the the levels of the of competition really that, that we're or I'm expecting next season anyway so I think there is pressure to get it right Sosga said asked him for the Wolves game if he felt this was the most important transfer window of his his spells so far really having having finished second and, and knowing there's only one more hurdle to climb. And he kind of started it by saying the fear of standing still is is always there in, in football. And it does feel like a summer where if you stand still, you're going to go backwards and backwards at, at quite a rate. So 
I do think they've got to they've got to absolutely absolutely nail it. I don't think they'll be nailing it this month particularly with with the European Championships. I think if any deals were going to be done before the Euros, I think they'd probably have, have been done by now. I think we're going to be waiting for, for till, until July really for big deals to to kick off now. But I think you know if United signed if United signed maybe two first teamers, you could consider it a success. They probably need three, but. You know, say say they got their their top targets at centre back and, and right wing. Say they signed Varane and Sancho. Then you're looking at a squad with Maguire, Varane, um, Fernandez, Pogba, Cavani in it, Sancho in it. You, you're talking, you know, four or five top level players there. I don't want to use the phrase world class. I hate the phrase world class because it's just so judgmental from person to person on on who is world class. But they are. You know, you're talking there four or five elite level players who are who would be wanted by most clubs in Europe. And with a base like that, you'd certainly feel that they can go close. So, yeah, I think it's it's pretty essential that they need to be improving the first eleven this year and improving it in, in at least two positions. Yeah, I guess that was the again another bit of mitigation from last year's at United improved their squad depth, but not necessarily their starting lineup. I know by the end of the season, Cavani was a starter, but for a large proportion of it, he wasn't. And the, the continued fitness issues. And like you said as well, Ty, there's also the, the mitigation that, you know, Marshall, I know him and Rashford didn't have the best individual seasons and fans might have demanded more from them. But if one of them can click and hit a purple patch, that adds another dimension to your attack. Again, Donny van der Beek, we haven't really seen much of him. But returning lone stars, so there is a, a lot to sort of consider, and it'd be interesting to see just how United sort of approach everything in pre-season. Dom, I've got a, a question for you. United finished second, you know, obviously this season. They also did that under Jose Mourinho a few years ago, as Ty alluded to. That City team that Jose Mourinho finished second to was a lot better than than this City team. But which second place finish do you think is more impressive? When Jose Mourinho did it, or when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did it this season? Uh, Solskjaer. I think um, quite clearly because I think he reached the final of a, a major competition at the same time. Mourinho did that, uh, but that, he did that in a season where United finished sixth in the league, so he wasn't able to compete on on the two fronts. Um, I also think that I, I would actually contest that the the argument that this City team is nowhere near as good as, as that one under Guardiola, because I, I know that they they were centurions and they broke all sorts of records, but I don't think that was ever going to happen in a season without fans and with COVID and with, with all sorts of unknown quantities thrown into the mix. And I think this City team is exceptionally good. You know, I, I think the way they the way they played in the Champions League final belied that ability, but they, they got there fairly comfortably um, without a centre-forward and with, you know, with a, probably the best centre-back uh, partnership in Europe at the moment. So I think that, I think Solskjaer has shown there with that achievement that, you know, he's on a, an upward trajectory United the problem with Mourinho, obviously, after that second place finish, which was an achievement in itself, you know, I think it was, but he wasn't backed in the summer after that. They only signed two players. Two for, well, neither player really went into the first team. It was Diogo Dallo and Fred for a, a combined seventy million, I think, roughly. And neither player went really went into the first team. And uh, Mourinho didn't get the centre back that he wanted. That that can't happen at United this summer. There's no way that that the Glazers can can. Um, failed to back Solskjaer in the way they, did, they didn't back Mourinho. I think if a summer goes by where we're talking about links and we're talking about speculation and we're not talking about signings and that continues into the start of next season, Solskjaer is going to be under pressure and it's probably going to be unfair on him because he hasn't got the backing that um, really he should be getting. I think most United fans agree he should be getting. 
Yeah, exactly. It's going to be interesting to see just how much is given. Of course, and I know we said this, didn't we, Ty, in terms of the recent protests as well. Now that they've come up with this signal of intent saying they want to actually implement change, maybe there is a bit of time for them to actually put their money where their mouth is and prove it. But Ty, looking back on the on the season, which we've just seen, any particular highlights for you which you think will stand the test of time and be remembered fondly? I think in the that chaotic game against Leeds, the hammering of Southampton? Yeah, you know, I guess when you win 9-0, um, it, it's always going to be remembered. The the two 6-2 wins at, at Old Trafford against Leeds and, and Roma will be fondly remembered. You know, it's quite strange that United's home record was pretty poor last year and there was times where they failed to score goals and really struggled to, to cut teams open at Old Trafford, yet they won 9-0 and 6-2 twice. But, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a season that we'll look back on fondly, particularly. You know, United did well to to finish second but it was a season played entirely without fans they didn't win anything and it just you know it just feels all a bit meh I think that you know it was it was a season that it was just a season that was wasn't it you know the the absence of fans and stuff it just it was like just to tick a box and complete the season and unless you're winning anything then you know I don't I don't think those memories are, are gonna live long really watching a you know if United fans a 9-0 wins great but watching it on the telly's not the same so you know I I don't think there's any memories that are gonna live long there someone posted on twitter yesterday I can't, I can't remember who it was so apologies to whoever it was but basically saying that you know this you know what a relief this season is over and playing in front of stands and that we should just eradicate 2020 2021 from any on this day posts in in years <laughs> to come almost as if it just didn't happen and you know avoid yeah not avoid it from on this day it, it you know it did kind of <laughs> sum it up in in you know, hopefully next year and the year after when we've got back to full stadiums and in 10 years down the line, when we're doing on this day, no one wants to be reminded of that year when we played games in empty solar stadiums. So, you know, if we're not won anything, I think it's just a, a season where, you know, United did all right, pretty good, I guess. But forget about it. I think it's a season that, I don't think it's a season that will live long in the memory. No one, in a couple of years, people will struggle to, apart from, you know, the 9-0 and maybe the 6-2s, people are going to struggle to remember individual games and results from the season. I know a man who will actually remember remember everything. He's not on this podcast this time. Uh, Samuel Lopez <laughs> has got an absolutely ridiculous encyclopedic memory of these games. That is true. Yeah. When you said that, Rich, though, the first thing that actually jumped into my head was the Cavani chip against Fulham, and that actually mm. took place was in front of fans. Yeah. Was that the goal of the season? Yeah, I think that's the goal of the season, and I think it's sort of the moment of the season because it was the return of fans, and Cavani yeah. hadn't played in front of them, uh, and it was such a you know it was such a great moment where the fans actually could appreciate a, a player they hadn't previously seen in person. So, yeah, it says a lot about the season, though, that, you know, there were some terrific goals and terrific games, but it's like, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to see it, see it does it actually happen? Yeah, exactly. I, I think particularly as well, one of those, I mean, this, the, the win at the Etihad and I think that, that Luke Shaw goal as well, you know, though, mm. that would have been one of the all, not, I'm not going to say all time, but it would have been one of the best Manchester like, Derby away days for United you know, fans if they'd been there and been able to, to enjoy it. I know they, they didn't win win the league, but it was still, you know, it was that was another game which you, you'd put down as sort of in your box to say this is why Solskjaer should be. United manager because it sort of pointed towards everything that he's tried to instill and of course the counter-attack from Dean Henderson throwing it out and then got Luke Shaw re- redeeming himself as well in that game so yeah it was like you said it was a season which is just so odd and there's so many moments that you just completely forget about because it just feels like it's been a TV show rather than an actual sort of sporting event that was real and really does seem peculiar looking ahead to the summer then Ty I know you've both already sort of talked about the, the transfers which you think 
you'd like to see. Uh, of course, today on the MEM, we've had the line from Samuel saying United have reignited their interest in Kieran Trippier. You see that as maybe a signing which would supplement the squad and come after other ones. I mean, centre-back surely has to be the priority. And then what do you put down after that? Right wing or, or striker? Defensive yeah. mid? Um, right wing for me. Yeah, probably right wing for me. I think I think Greenwood's better at right wing than centre-forward at the moment, but I think you probably need more attacking options in that squad. In terms of first 11 signings, I think centre-back would be the number one for me. And then right wing just over over centre-mid. But I think right-back is one you just you simply can't ignore because you know, Wan-Bissaka started 54 games this year, more than any other player in Europe's top five leagues. And he's just he's got no competition. It's clear Brandon Williams needs to go on loan. You know, Dallow seems a busted flush as far as the time at United is concerned. So you you desperately need competition there. And it's though it's not as you know, it might not be as, as glamorous as signing Jaden Sancho or Raphael Varane, but I think it's got to be a high priority for United. And the interesting thing we're going for Trippier for me is that I think I think Kieran Trippier is better than Aaron Wambasaka. Um so I'm not sure you're signing someone for competition there. I think you're signing someone to take Wambasaka's place, you know, as an all round player and for a team who dominate the ball like United, I think you you're better off with a right back of Trippier quality than the Wambasaka. We know Wambasaka is brilliant defensively, but you know, Kieran Trippier has just won the league with Atletico Madrid. He conceded twenty five goals in thirty eight games. So I think he knows how to defend himself. He was a you know a major part of a Burnley team under Sean Dyche who are always famed for their defensive ability. So, you know, he knows how to defend and we know how good his his delivery and his crossing is. So, you know, I think we're talking about competition. For me, if they sign Trippier, I think I'll be starting him ahead of Wambasaka in in most games really. I think he's a you know a, a fabulous player. He is 30, so I guess it would give time for, for Wambasaka to develop behind him. But yeah, I think he'd be, you know, although he might not be as glamorous as, as Varane and Sancho, I do think he'd be a, a brilliant signing. Yeah, and the type of player that can really revolutionise the, the way United play, particularly against those sort of low block teams that come to Old Trafford and invite the pressure yeah. on. You know, they say Wambasaka run at us because, you know, he's not very good at doing that. And he'll be able to cut inside, deliver into the box, exceptional really would add another dimension to the strikers game as well so yeah that's got to be an interesting one to keep an eye on and see see how that all develops of course center backs we talk about them every single day i'm not sure fans want to hear too much about that but dom maybe on your perspective you said their right wing is the second sort of priority you'd go for this summer but what would that mean in terms of greenwood and amad's development yeah it's interesting i don't i don't see uh, an indication from united that ahmad will go out on loan uh, i don't think he should do i think he, he's proven whenever we've seen him since he, uh, he arrived in january he's looked very very impressive and, and he's probably ready for premier league level so it's how you use him it, it, what that means for daniel james as well who's another wide option uh, united who um wants to stay at united and wants to, to win a place but there's a finite number of spots there and I think what will happen is that Greenwood will will compete with Cavani um, for the centre-forward place in time uh, and Sancho comes in on, on the right wing if that does happen. Um, I, I think Green, Greenwood's done a job on the right wing and it's probably been good for his development not to have the, 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 the pressure of scoring 25, 30 goals a season that United number nine needs to do. Um, but I think he's ready for, for that pressure now. I think he, he's, his finishing is arguably the best at the club, his movement, everything everything that he's been doing in the past season. I know he had a massive blip in terms of goals and he had that incident when he was um, he was given a, a, a rap on the wrist really by England for his uh, behaviour with Phil Foden in Iceland. But I, I think he's ready for that. And I think Cavani is there basically as a, um, a teacher for him for a year. 35 is going to be Edinson Cavani in the next season. So I don't see him maintaining a fantastic uh, starting level the whole season. 
So that's a roundabout way of saying that I think Sancho is a perfect fit for the right wing. Um, and United really can't afford to miss out on him for a second summer on a bounce. That would, it would be a really bad look for the club and the way they operate. They've got this transfer team now at transfer director, um, John Murto and, and Darren Fletcher, technical director. So, yeah, United have got to get that one done. It looks like he'll be available at a cheaper price as well. So um, there's no excuse for them this summer. Yeah, of course. You know, United could save themselves around about, about £30 million this summer by waiting for James Sancho rather than going for him like they could have done last year. Ty, I know another position which United fans do like to talk about a lot is defensive midfield. Do you think that is maybe something that's overanalyzed at times? Because, you know, we, we've seen United play some pretty attractive stuff at times with the midfield they've got already. And obviously when they lose, it's easy to say, well, if they had a defensive midfielder, they could play this way or that way. Do you think that, you know, just by sort of bolstering at centre-back and then having extra options to attack, that would alleviate the pressure on having a, a specialist defensive midfielder? Um, yeah, yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, I, I do still think midfield is something that needs looking at. I'm just, I'm still not convinced that the Fred and McTominay partnership is is a long-term solution to to win a league. I don't think you've got the passing ability and, and line-breaking ability there to to break teams down and, and dominate games, as you'd expect title winners to do. Um, you know, I think McTominay's a vital part of this squad. I think Fred can be, but I still just not sure his passing's good enough. I think his passing's too wayward at times. I'm just they give you a lot of energy in in big games and a lot of you know a lot of discipline in big games, but I'm just not convinced long term that they are an an ideal partnership in in every game. I think you know I think Donny Van Der Beek can still can still play there and make one of those roles his own. I thought he was really good on the final day at Wolves in in that position. Really you know disciplined and intelligent defensively, used the ball well, got forward well in a United performance where you know they, they didn't do a great deal of attacking. So. You know, I thought he played really well there, and I think if he's given a run, he can, he can probably make one of those positions his own. Obviously, you've still got Matic. I think his his days are gradually becoming numbered. Um, you know, I do think Declan Rice would be would fit in nicely there alongside one of McTominay or or Fred. I think he's you know probably a better passer. He's definitely a better a better dribbler. I think he's really shown West Ham this year that he can cause. You know, he's happy to to take players on from that deep position when you've got someone like that. When you're being pressed and you've got a player who can dribble around a couple of players and is happy to to take players on in his own half, that's that's an incredible skill to have at a club like United, where you're going to be taking on deep defences. If you can take a couple of players out of the game in in that area, then it can really open the pitch up. So, you know, I do think Rice would be a good signing. I think it's probably unlikely this summer, given that he's got three years I think left on his West Ham contract, and they're going to want huge money for him. But I do think he would improve that area in midfield. And it, you know, I do feel like. If they're not going to play Van der Beek there, it still feels to me like they do just need a better a better passer uh, of the ball and a more adventurous passer of the ball in those positions. Tom, you're wearing the English shirt. We'll come to you about the European Championship now. Mason Greenwood withdrew from the England squad uh, on Tuesday. Harry Maguire and Marcus Rashford both included. They both you know, had injuries throughout the season, particularly towards the tail end. Do you think there's a, a weird sort of bit of hypocrisy there that Mason Greenwood was the one who, you know, was United's best player, arguably this calendar year? Certainly the best forward, you'd say, most consistent. But he's the one who's dropped out for injury and it's Rashford and Maguire who are soldiering on. I mean, yes, I do think it's a bit of um, it's a bit strange, but I think that also there's no surprise because we know what kind of characters Rashford and Maguire are, and they have been playing every game basically for United since the start of the season. Maguire only missing them really, really, really 
couldn't walk basically ahead of the Europa League final. If there'd been any chance that he could have got on two feet for that game, he would have been playing. I'm absolutely certain of that. And it probably applies to, to this summer with England as well, with both of those two. Uh, I do think that it's been a bit of a, a point missed by a lot of the, the mainstream national media that Green, Greenwood is a loss for England. I really think that they could do with someone with his X factor coming off the bench in games. Like we've seen with United cutting in on the left foot or on the right, obviously he's got that two-footed ability to finish. I think he's a far superior player to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I really do. And I think that he's probably in better form than Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford. So that puts him on the brink of England's first choice front three, really, for me. And he'll be, he'll be massively missed. Obviously, if he feels that he's got this underlying injury that needs to be to be addressed, then you have to respect that and you have to take that on face value. I just think there's a risk with Rashford that he's going to go the other way and get completely run into the ground and we won't see the best of him in United shirt at the start of next season. That all remains to be seen, of course, but it's not good signs for Rashford the way he was the way he was playing towards the end of the season. I mean, his performance at the Europa League final was ab- abject, really, really abject, and he should have come off a long time. Uh, well, he never did actually come off. He should have come off. So uh, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on, on him and Maguire this summer. Ty, do you think that social maybe should put his foot down? I know it's a major tournament, you can't really cause too much disruption, but he must be deep down quite concerned by the fact that he's got the prospect of two players who he's so over-reliant on potentially making their situations worse or at least having more workload this summer when they both clearly just need a really long rest. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think, you know, if if United and Solskjaer could have done, I think they'd have taken all three players out of the equation. So, Dom, with the Euros just over a week away, any United player in particular excited to see an international action? Yeah, first of all, like we said, it'd be interesting to see how much Maguire and Rashford feature and whether Dean Henderson gets a shout ahead of Jordan Pickford in the England goal. Luke Shaw is a, is the, probably the one certain starter in terms of United's England contingent. And obviously, it's always interesting to see how well Paul Pogba does for France in an international tournament. It, Obviously, we know what he did at the World Cup. He was absolutely phenomenal. And either side of that for United, he wasn't phenomenal. It was interesting that um, he thrived to France in that tournament in a two-man midfield in a deep-lying role next to N'Golo Conte. We've seen him in that role every now and then for United, but it's not really one that he's ever ever shone in. So, yeah, all eyes on Pogba, as always. All eyes on whether Bruno Fernandes can sort of do the opposite, really, and and turn his United form into international form in Portugal. He's, he's got a much better record domestically than for his country. So those two obviously are going to catch the eye uh, and the England contingent as well. And I guess it's always interesting in these tournaments to use them as a bit of a scouting exercise. Is there going to be a bit of a wild card player, an unknown quantity that stands out that will cue a massive transfer chase in the weeks afterwards? You know, it, it doesn't happen as much now, I don't think, because clubs are a bit more savvy and, and they do their their due diligence and their data and their background on players. But United did it in 2014, signing Marcus Rojo. And, and it's not unknown for, for players to stand out after, after tournaments and get themselves a big move. So um, I, I should probably name someone after saying all that, shouldn't I? Who, who might get a move it's to United? Yeah, it's difficult to say, isn't it? But of course, United will still keep an eye on players that they, they've been watching anyway. You know, you want to see how someone like Rafa Rand copes in, in a major international tournament. Obviously, United know how good he is. Pau Torres, they saw in the Europa League final, who who's, who's impressive, but he didn't really see much of him. 
and that's mainly down to United's quite blunt attack on, on the night. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I do think that United have probably learnt their lessons from just buying a player because he has three, four good games for his country in a row. But like you said, Dom, someone could quite quickly become flavour of the month. And it's something you often see at Real Madrid, isn't it? When a player has an amazing international tournament and then the fans yeah. demand his, his signing. So there might be someone who's already on United's radar a bit further down. But if they have a you know, a tournament which puts them on that centre stage, then who knows what could happen. I guess that's what's exciting. And Dom, it's just got to be nice. I know we've, we've said that it's been a long season, but it's quite nice just to have a, a week and a half off at least for, for football for a bit, isn't it? Yeah, a change, a change of pace now with, a, with with no football and then a, a different, you know, a different sense with the, with the Euros and international tournament coming in. I, on that point we just made, I actually think it's probably better for United that their targets don't have... Uh, too good a time in the tournament because it probably puts the transfer fee up by 10, 20 million. So they probably don't want Rice and Sancho and people like that to to do that much and just stay under the radar and, and then they can secure a transfer after that for a, a cheaper price. Yeah, there's always that sort of cynical point of view. And yeah, Solskjaer might be hoping that England get knocked out in the group stages, to be fair. Who knows? Get some of his players back early. But we'll wait and see. I'm not going to poke that that one for you. I'm not going to worry not 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 really, not not get English yet. And not when Wales are going to go out in the group stages themselves. I can't, <laughs> I can't be too, uh, too aggressive, but we'll wait and see. But thank you very much once again for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you very much and Dom as well for joining me. We will be back again next time. If you're new around here, please do leave a like, subscribe if you haven't already, and we'll see you again next time.